morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to another HRO Today educational podcast. I'm Elliot Clark, the CEO of HRO Today. We publish HRO Today Magazine, HRO Today EMEA, HRO Today APAC, and host the HRO Today events held around the world, as well as manage the HRO Today Association. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most complex topics in the world of human resources, and that is the issue of pre-employment screening. As many of you know, California has recently passed an amended version of what is called the Fair Chance Act. This is designed to give a fair chance to people who've been previously incarcerated at re-entering the labor force. A laudable concept, but if you do not follow compliance, it might lead to a fair chance of your company being involved in an employment-related lawsuit or class action lawsuit. So we want to help you sort of think through your options, your processes as it relates to the Fair Chance Act. And we have a great guest to help us do that. We're joined by Morgan Reynolds, who is the Vice President for Risk and Legal Counsel to DISA Global Solutions, DISA. DISA is one of the largest suppliers in the United States and the world of pre-employment testing. They do drug and alcohol testing. They do background screening, national, state, local. They also provide occupational health and a host of other products related to pre-employment screening. Morgan has been their legal counsel for more than four years. He, for that work in the background screening industry in another company for about 10 years, so he's got some deep expertise in it. He is an attorney and graduate of the University of San Diego School of Law. So Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here today. I'm passionate about employment screening and excited to talk about this new California law. Before we get started, let me just make sure I give a disclaimer. While I am an attorney, the following is not legal advice. It's going to be best practices discussion. And I invite you to consult with an expert in the labor and employment side for for legal advice on this topic. Well, you wouldn't have been an attorney if you hadn't provided that disclaimer. So you've just proved it to our audience. All right, Morgan. I can't help um, it. I can't help it. (laughs) Yeah, it's in your DNA now, right? So California has taken the position that all employers who have nexus, which is employees who might be based in California or remote workers in California, have to abide by their regulations. So A few years back, the California State Assembly passed a law called the Fair Chance Act that limited the ability of employers to use background screening information related to prior criminal convictions in employment processes. Now, they've just amended those guidelines, effective actually October 1st. Can you explain the Fair Chance Act and what employers need to know and understand about the underlying law and the October 1st amendments? And then we'll talk about best practices and what companies should be thinking about. So first, explain the Fair Chance Act and how this is going to potentially impact employers and what they need to know. Yes, certainly. I think we need to start at the beginning and go back to the Fair Chance Act as it stands prior to that October 1st date. You know, how I think about it is how it started. We look at the California Fair Chance Act, and there's three basic things that you've got to do to be compliant today. 
you have to wait until after a conditional offer of employment to do inquiries into their criminal history. And then once you get any criminal history back, you need to conduct an individualized assessment of that applicant's conviction. And then you need to determine whether that conviction has a direct and adverse relationship with the specific duties of the job that justify denying the applicant the position. So those are the things that you're going to want to consider today. And then we're going to get into what's going to happen on October 1st. But that's the California Fair Chance Act, which really is substantially similar to the EEOC criminal guidelines that were released in 2012 about using criminal history in the hiring process. So it wasn't that big of a deal in 2018 when California adopted this Fair Chance Act, also known as a ban the box law. The key things you know, that we'll get into are that you got to notify the applicant of the potential adverse action based on their conviction history, which is substantially similar to the FCRA. And then after the requisite waiting period time, notify the applicant of the adverse action decision. So that's exactly the same as the FCRA, where you have the pre-adverse action process, and then you have the final adverse action process. A couple of nuances in the California rule today is that you have to notify of an existing procedure the applicant has to challenge the decision or request reconsideration. So in the adverse action letter, you're going to want to have a sentence about that. And then also a sentence about the applicant's right to file a complaint with the Department of Fair Housing and Employment. So in terms of today, the California notices are required even if the employer doesn't order criminal background check reports from a consumer reporting agency like DISA. If they learn the criminal history from a different source, like a voluntary self-disclosure, you still have to follow the adverse action process. Moving on to where it's going on October 1st, which was the question I just wanted to level set with the audience on where it is today. You know, on July 24th, the Office of Administrative Law approved this amendment and it'll be effective October 1st. So there are a couple of things that didn't change. The criminal history requests and usage, they're still going to need to wait until after the conditional offer of employment. And then there's some new aspects of that. So it's going to apply to current employees in the context of decisions, promotions, training, discipline, or if you're considering layoffs and you want to run the background checks. And the definition of an applicant is expanded. So in the event of like an acquisition and existing employees are all subject to a review of criminal history, it's going to be after you make that conditional offer of employment. So those are the first steps. And then the regulations are going to continue to require that individualized assessment that I mentioned as part of the hiring process. And it's still going to have the nature and gravity of defense or conduct. And then they're going to ask you to consider the time that has passed since the offense or conduct and or completion of the offense. And then the nature of the job held or sought. A couple of new individualized assessment requirements are the employer must conduct an individualized initial assessment before sending the pre-adverse action notice. So that one, from my perspective, is going to be a difficult one to comply with. So you follow the rules. You know, you, you waited until the conditional offer to order a background check. You get back a criminal record on the background check. You look at it. You don't know anything about the record 
beyond what's on the report. So it says, you know, misdemeanor, conviction, date, all of that. How do you do an initial individualized assessment is going to be a difficult question that's still going to be fleshed out as we get into next year and look at enforcement actions. But that's something to consider is like, how do you do this and make it individualized? Do you reach out to the applicant and ask them questions before you even send the pre-adverse? There's going to be different recommendations around that. I think most employers are going to look at the job and the record and do an initial analysis that it is job-related in some respect and follow that. So that's something to consider. And then another consideration around that initial individualized assessment is adjudication considerations. So a lot of consumer reporting agencies like DISA, they'll adjudicate the background report into certain aspects and send it to the HR professionals if it meets certain requirements. So it's like a hiring matrix and you send some to one person to do the pre-adverse action and, and others are clear and go to the hiring manager. Stuff, stuff like that is very common in the industry. And so if you're getting adjudication in California for a job in California or a prospective employer who lives in California, are you always sending the pre-adverse action if it meets this adjudication area? Like it's got a hit and it goes to the person and you send it 100% of the time you're sending the pre-adverse. I think that that's something to consider. Like your percentages are going to be things to look at. I was talking to a client recently and we thought that about a third of the time, if it went into a certain bucket, they were clearing the person anyway. And then two thirds of the time they were sending the pre-adverse action. And I just said, that's something to consider as we get into October and November and December is like looking at those percentages. Well, let's, if I can, Morgan. Pull yeah, sorry. I, I was getting on a roll. <laughs> It's complicated stuff, and I think our audience is, you know, trying to figure out. Let me take a real-world scenario and and see. You know, Disa, you have to have thousands of clients in California that are subject to these regulations. I know you. Part of your job is to advise clients that you're not dispensing legal advice. But what do you do with the nightmare scenario where a manager says to someone during an interview, so what were you doing? There's a gap in your resume between 2016 and 2019. And the person says, well, I was incarcerated at San Quentin, you know, which would obviously be a felony conviction in that case. And how do you manage the whole question now that there has been a self-volunteered disclosure? If you don't make that person a conditional offer, can they come back after the company and say, well, you use this information against me in the hiring process? How should managers handle those kinds of issues? Should they not ask about resume gaps? What's the best guidance in California now? That's a great question. I think one thing is, you know, can they come after you? Well, we're in a litigious society and people can come after you for almost anything, but it's how much documentation have you created to protect yourself? And so in the event that there's something, a gap on the resume or things like that, what are you gaining by asking about that? Because I think most of the time, the disclosure is going to be something that you're not going to want to know. What would you gain from determining why there was a three-year gap? Is it they went home and had a family and then you can well, they're going to be busy, you know, things that you don't want to consider no matter what. Those are the things that are going to be problematic regardless. So whether or not you choose to ask about those, I can't really say definitively because it is something that would be a question. But in the event that that comes up, it's going to be documentation on what you based your decision not to move on 
and I would not put anything in there related to things that you can't use. So if you ask and they volunteer something, but then they're not the right fit for the job for other reasons, you need to make sure that you have review of the interview and what they didn't fit and all of those sort of aspects. Let's get into the best practices. And this is a complicated issue. So, you know, what are the best practices from a process perspective, from a structural perspective that DISA recommends to employers on how they structure and monitor the employment process to ensure that they are in compliance with not only California law, but other local ban-the-box laws that limit the use of prior criminal records in the conduct of interviews, the generation of offers, and the treatment of this information? So in terms of local ban the box laws, I think the employers have to take ownership of knowing where their applicant or prospective employee lives, especially in this remote workforce that we're seeing in the last three years. It's extremely difficult to comply with all of the different ban the box laws, Fair Chance Act, those type of laws, and they're popping up all the time. I saw one in Jacksonville, Florida, and there's, of course, New York City, which is extremely difficult to comply with. But I think it's understanding, is it a process or is there a specific form that they need to fill out, like in LA and New York City? Is there a waiting period? One of the things that I didn't cover in kind of the broad overview that I gave at the beginning was, you know, there's increased waiting periods and presumptions built into this law. So for the California Fair Chance Act after October 1, you need to wait five days from the receipt of the pre-adverse action before taking final adverse action. And so that's one of the things that I think is an easy one for the enforcement agency to look at and say, you didn't follow the four corners of the regulation because employers are going to see five days and they're going to go, oh, that's what we do for FCRA, we don't need to make alterations, but it's the receipt that is going to be difficult to comply with. You have to either get a return receipt, like send it overnight mail where you can see it was delivered to justify that day, or there's a presumption built into the regulation. Like for email, you need to give them two days for the receipt of the pre-adverse action notice. If it's mail, it's five days, so it's really 10 days. Those are the type of things, and there's all these increased waiting periods that employers need to be aware of across the U.S. So from the standpoint of employers, this is pretty complicated. Are you finding that amongst the DISA clients that they're structuring their processes to be ready to meet this, particularly this October 1st deadline, or are companies still scrambling to figure out exactly how to handle the conditional offer process and the pre-adverse event notifications? So I think companies, because of the short time period, you know, October from July are really scrambling, like you said, because of that, you know, this is not a long rollout time, whereas with other things we've seen, you know, 18 months or things like that before it's implemented, this is, you know, two months and it's really over the summer, people are on vacation. And so in the last few weeks, we've been getting a lot of outreach. And then there's the misunderstanding of what this law is. And it's not really about what we on the DISA side can provide. It's how the employer can use them, use these criminal records that come up on people. And so trying to educate them on the subtle changes. So there's always been the Fair Chance Act. I covered that probably too long at the beginning, but it's really, there's process changes, there's the technical requirements, all of that, and helping 
clients know that it's really, you know, when you get the records, what to do, not a change in the CRA side on how we provide records. Well, that's great. And I think we're running out of time because we could spend hours talking about the complexity of this issue. You know, I want to thank Morgan Reynolds, who is Vice President of Risk and Legal Counsel for DISA. As I said, DISA is one of the largest pre-employment screening and pre-employment drug testing and, and provides a host of services around risk management and workforce risk-related issues. I'm Elliot Clark. I'm the CEO of HRO Today. I want to thank Morgan for uh, taking part in the podcast. Thanks, Morgan. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. I appreciate that. And we'll continue to talk about this issue because it is complicated for our listeners. And there hasn't been much opportunity, frankly, in the three-month time frame to get ready. And as I said at the beginning, the scary reality is the Fair Chance Act, but it gives you a fair chance of potentially being subject to class action suit or other employment litigation, and you want to do everything you can to mitigate that risk. So we appreciate your time and attention, and we look forward to you joining us on another HRO Today podcast. Thank you. Thank you.